Welcome to this episode of When Science Makes History, entitled Take Two and Call Me in the Morning. This is a terrible confession, but I recall my brother and I as little tykes eating these delicious orange pills in our parents' medicine cabinet. They were orange-flavored and were kind of sweet and crunchy. We knew they were medicine, so we probably shouldn't eat too many, so we'd only munch on a few at a time. As we grew up, we came to learn that these were chewable baby aspirin, and yes, they were orange-flavored, making them even tastier. I do suppose that children, such as my brother and I, are why child-proof caps were invented. I mean, don't get the wrong impression. We were well-supervised children, but also incredibly curious, daring, and on occasion downright dumb. Our poor mother. I have to also give her credit, though, as I distinctly recall asking her as a kid where aspirin came from. Yeah, I know, weird question, but the reason I recall that was her answer. She said, coal. My mind immediately questioned how such pure white little pills could come from a dark black rock-like material. Later in college, I realized she was right. It was coal. And she didn't even have Google. Thanks, Mom, for engaging my curiosity. While baby aspirin is orange and chewable, it is also a smaller dose of the regular aspirin intended to have the same effect in a smaller dose for smaller bodies. Most medications dosed appropriately for human consumption based on how many milligrams of medication are needed per kilogram of human body. For baby aspirin, that's 81 milligrams, and for adult aspirins, it's roughly four times that at 325 milligrams. Our topic for this episode, as you likely have guessed, is aspirin. So, stay tuned to When Science Makes History in this episode entitled Take Two and Call Me in the Morning. Welcome back to this episode entitled, Take Two and Call Me in the Morning. If you're ever curious about where that old phrase originated and what it means, it derives from the time when doctors made house calls. A call would come in from a frequent flyer, hypochondriac, worry ward, or even a legitimate and serious patient. And rather than travel all the way out into the night, it was easier for the doctor to tell the patient by phone to take two aspirin and call them back in the morning. A call back in the morning could evaluate whether the prescribed plan was effective. Often, what we define today as the placebo effect would take place and the patient felt better. Hence, the development of the prescription and the phrase of take two and call me in the morning. The two pills often taken were two tablets of the ubiquitous drug produced by the Bayer company called aspirin. If you were to surmise two drugs that dramatically changed the course of history in the last 200 years, you would have to include two classes, antibiotics and painkillers. These two have practically doubled life expectancy over the past 200 years. If the average life expectancy was 25 to 30 years of age in the 16 and 1700s, the present life expectancy of close to 80 years is due in large part to the discovery and proliferation of antibiotics and painkillers. The antibiotics will be a topic of another episode, but today we're focusing on one of the first painkillers, aspirin. Aspirin belongs to a group of substances called analgesics, or substances taken to relieve pain. It is true, one could argue, that alcohol and some narcotic-based plants and drugs preceded aspirin in relieving pain, but the pain relief and fever-reducing characteristics that are without side effects that are found in aspirin are quite remarkable, making it the longest, most used painkiller throughout history. No company is more closely associated with the aspirin tablet than the German company of Bayer. The medicine we refer to as aspirin, acetosalicylic acid, was patented by the Bayer company in 1899. Specifically, Friedrich Bayer and company coined the term aspirin for its new drug and patented it 
on March 6th of the same year. The name aspirin, in case you were curious, comes from the fact that salicylic acid is found naturally in the meadowsweet plant, which has a Latin genus species nomenclature of Spurea omeria. The addition of an I-end ending to Spurea is thought to make the medication easier to say, hence aspirin or aspirin. Now, this was not the first time the products in aspirin were used by mankind. It had actually been used for centuries. Bayer simply analyzed and isolated the effective compound and made it less harmful to the stomach lining. The active ingredient in willowbark that was used for centuries was salicin, which was discovered by purification from willowbark by pharmacology professor Johann Buchner. This compound, purified into salicylic acid, is an effective painkiller but has the nasty side effect of irritating the stomach lining and also has a very bitter taste. Incidentally, this product, salicylic acid, is the active ingredient in many over-the-counter wart removers and skin treatments as it acts as a keratolytic. As the name indicates, a keratolytic lyses or breaks down keratin, the protein making up skin. Since Buchner's process was taking a plant product, isolating it, and then producing it without the plant and making a pharmaceutical, aspirin also has the honor of becoming one of the first synthetic drugs. Synthetic in the sense that if aspirin were produced by pulling salicylic acid out of willow bark and meadowsweet plants, the number of plants needed to make aspirin tablets would be astronomical. Production would just be prohibitive. There has to be a better means of producing this quantity of salicin. And indeed, that was found in the laboratory synthesis of this molecule. Hence, a synthesized or synthetic drug. When it comes to what we ingest as humans by way of drugs and medicine, it's not possible to develop and dispense a drug for human consumption without knowledge of the mode of action, that is, how it works. There are pre-trials, trials, clinical trials, and a host of steps before a drug can be put to market for human consumption. There have been some examples, such as Thorazine and some psychoactive drugs, along with the recent vaccine, that were able to seemingly skip some of these steps and rush to market. However, None have been used for so long and given to so many patients over centuries without understanding its mode of action, as has aspirin. For thousands of years, aspirin's been dispensed, then only within the past 50 years or so has the mode of action been isolated and understood. It's not a terribly huge problem, but essentially we've been taking aspirin for thousands of years without really knowing how it works. Further, aspirin was tested on patients in a clandestine manner. Doctors and dentists were simply provided with samples of this white powder to give to their patients, and it worked. It worked so well they asked for more. This was obviously before the days of informed consent, clinical trials, and the ethics of testing on human subjects. Even though centuries of practice showed that the bark of the willow tree could cure fever and dull pain, the question remained, how? How does it do this? In other words, what does aspirin do? In brief, here's a simple explanation. There are substances that act like on-off switches when it comes to pain called prostaglandins. These substances have a variety of functions, some of which are helpful, such as stopping pain. And others are, well, somewhat helpful in this context, such as stopping blood from clotting. We generally want our blood to clot, but preventing clots and relaxing blood vessels is also something that's helpful to overall cardiovascular health. This attribute, however, is not helpful to the stomach lining and can create bleeding of the stomach or ulcerations. So, there are trade-offs. But essentially, aspirin functions as a prostaglandin inhibitor, reducing pain and alleviating fever. With the advent of newer drugs, aspirin sort of receded into the background. But it does remain an incredibly versatile drug we would be wise to revisit. Its versatility is found in that 
it is water soluble. It can be dissolved, made chewable, coated not to harm the stomach, and most of all, can actually be a lifesaver in the case of a heart attack. Chewing a couple of aspirin can quickly reduce a clot that formed and is, as mentioned, a helpful medication taken daily to ward off future heart disease. So, you might find your physician telling you to take an aspirin each day rather than taking two and calling them in the morning. For centuries, the connection between the therapeutic effect of certain plants has been understood and legitimately likely better than we understand it today. Utsi the Iceman mummy found in 1991 in the Alps and believed to be over 5,000 years old was found carrying lumps of birch fungus, which are known to have ingredients to ward off intestinal parasites, which evidently he had. In the early 1600s, Jesuit missionaries to Peru uncovered the native people's use of the bark of the cinchona tree to ward off malaria. Their use of this bark has been studied, and we now know it contains quinine, which, again, has been synthesized to produce the antimalarial of the same name. This bark, prior to being referred to by its chemical constituents of quinine, was appropriately called Jesuit's bark. The production of phytochemicals, chemicals produced by plants as a sort of a self-defense mechanism, has found its way into both medicine cabinets and poison bottles over centuries, which brings us back to the plants which contain the active ingredients in aspirin. The Egyptians and Sumerians were well aware of the bark of the willow tree and its ability to alleviate pain and reduce fever. While they may not have spoken of it in those terms, they knew its value to this end. Hippocrates even later suggested using teas of willow bark, and others suggested ingesting the powdered forms of the bark to alleviate pain and fever. All in all, this plant was well established as possessing some substance within it that was a painkiller. When we come back, we'll look at the Bayer Company and its history of synthesizing chemicals and how history itself paralleled the company's scientific efforts. Hey listeners, just a quick word of thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of When Science Makes History. I trust you're enjoying these podcasts and they're filling you in on the unique connections that science, serendipity, and history all have in common. While I'm not a fan of social media, I do recognize the importance that these platforms have on sharing podcasts such as this. So please like us on Instagram and be sure to tell your friends about this podcast. When Science Makes History can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the topics that we are covering. Welcome back to this episode of When Science Makes History, entitled Take Two and Call Me in the Morning. So, Tying the history of aspirin to the science behind its effectiveness involves a little bit of chemical discussion. The compound salicylic acid can be chemically modified by an acetylation reaction. While this sounds complicated, essentially the acetylation is done by combining it with acetic acid, which is vinegar. Here's a crude analogy. Salicylic acid, the compound in skincare, acne, and wart removers, when combined with the acetic acid of vinegar, yields acetosalicylic acid, which is the drug we know as aspirin. Now, please bear in mind, I'm not suggesting purchasing some wart remover and vinegar and boiling them together in your kitchen as a way of cooking your own aspirin or setting up a clandestine aspirin lab in your basement. It's not that easy. I'm just trying to establish the analogy and the connection between these two molecules. This process of synthesizing aspirin is what the Bayer Company made more efficient, allowing the mass production and distribution of the now familiar white tablets with the Bayer logo stamped into them. Today, aspirin is produced by the ton. Even with other painkillers on the market, 70 million pounds of these tablets are produced each year, and not solely by the Bayer company. The German company Bayer had a collision with history, namely in the form of two world wars of which Germany was at the center. As a result, the Allies seized their assets and dissolved the company, taking ownership of two key patents for products that Bayer was producing, one of which was aspirin. This era that Bayer found itself in the middle of saw a development in chemistry we today take for granted. 
synthetic chemistry, where molecules were discovered and then manipulated to make sought-after compounds. Coal was the primary molecule of study as it was discovered to hold a plethora of compounds that could be teased out, then isolated, then produced synthetically in the laboratory. Here's an example of synthetic chemistry. None of us has ever eaten a blue raspberry, yet beginning in 1958, this flavor began to work its way into everything from cotton candy to slushies to lollipops and is now sort of an accepted norm in flavorings. Blue raspberry, incidentally, is a conglomeration of pineapple, banana, and cherry with a fair amount of blue number one dye. The connection between pharmaceuticals and dyes is not too far off. Bayer started out as a drug and dye firm before becoming the trademark drug company of the 50s. It is also tied to dyes as the first synthetic compounds teased out of coal were, in fact, dyes. The first synthetic dye from coal was the color mauve, one of the first non-natural colors in that it wasn't derived from a plant or animal product. Comically, Perkins, who discovered this synthetic color, was working on a method of synthesizing quinine to aid in malaria treatment and serendipitously stumbled on this deep purple color that now bears his name, Perkins Mauve. Over time, a host of other substances were pulled from coal, one of which was benzene. You guessed it. Benzene happens to be one of the starter molecules used to yield salicylic acid. In short, the destructive distillation of coal gave scientists the ingredients for aspirin. Mom? You are right, aspirin comes from coal. While today, more specifically, it comes from crude oil, which is basically a liquid form of coal, the results are the same. We never did mention what the other patent Bayer was holding onto when their assets were seized by Allied powers in World War II. It too was a derived or synthetic compound that attempted to combine the non-addictive power of aspirin with the pain relief of morphine. It was called diacetyl morphine, two acetylations of a morphine molecule. While morphine and other narcotic-based painkillers are highly effective, likely the most effective painkillers known to man, we also recognize they're highly addictive. Names like hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, and codeine all harbor images of surgery, pain relief, and the dark side of addiction. Names like acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and aspirin all provide pain relief without that addictive property. There was an attempt by Bayer to mix these two properties. If they could take the properties of morphine, a highly effective painkiller that is narcotic-based and addictive, and run the same chemical processes they did to get salicylic acid into acetosalicylic acid, maybe it would produce a non-addictive painkiller that was just as effective as morphine. Essentially, can we make morphine-level pain relief without the addictive side effect? It was, well, shall we say a heroic effort? Bayer eventually accomplished this feat and named it diacetylmorphine, a morphine molecule with two acetyl groups. This drug we know by a different name, heroin, yes. While Bayer is well known for producing aspirin and has fought to reclaim the trademark, it also produced heroin but understandably did not seek to reacquire the patent for this drug. The name heroin is derived from herosh in German, meaning essentially powerful in small doses, which indeed it is. This product was used in all sorts of cough syrups, cold formulas, and a variety of therapeutic endeavors due to its ability to alleviate symptoms and induce sleep. It was used for decades before being discontinued for medical use in the United States in 1916 and today has been relegated to an illicit street drug. Now, keep in mind, Bayer did not invent aspirin or invent heroin. They merely refined the synthetic process and moved it to where mass production and distribution were possible. This process is what drove the synthetic industry of that era and gave rise to all sorts of synthetic flavors, dyes, and eventually the development of plastics. As we close out this episode, let's get back to aspirin. 
Aspirin tablets today are produced in a variety of forms, the most common of which is a naked white tablet of 325 milligrams of acetylsalicylic acid. There is also baby aspirin, which is a smaller dose of 81 milligrams and is often flavored and chewable, making it easier for little ones to ingest. Incidentally, this has fallen out of favor as it was discovered taking aspirin as a child for viral symptoms such as flu or chicken pox can result in RISE syndrome, which is believed to be triggered by salicylates. This terrible condition results in potential brain swelling, coma, and loss of consciousness. Because of this rare condition, it's recommended not to give aspirin to children. There is even an enteric-coated aspirin, which has a special coating, allowing it to get past the stomach before being released, therefore eliminating stomach irritation. Aspirin also has a host of additional health benefits, the most common of which is, as mentioned, the ability to thin the blood and potentially reduce heart disease. Heart attack patients are even given an aspirin tablet immediately upon emergency treatment. Aspirin can even be mixed with caffeine, with some studies showing it can actually improve vigilance and efficiency, as well as relieving headaches. Best of all, it's a pain reliever that is not addictive, which in the land of pain relief is a tremendous benefit. As a last oddity of the aspirin tablet, you can open a bottle of aspirin from your medicine cabinet and take a sniff. If you smell vinegar, that's not accidental based on what you now know. It's the acetic acid separating from the salicylic acid. While it won't harm you, it may not be as effective, and the cost of about a couple pennies per tablet might be time to just go get a new bottle. So, there you have it. Willowbark, World War II, Hippocrates, and heroin, alongside a little white tablet produced by a pharmaceutical giant called Bayer on when science makes history.